Show Me The Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here and welcome to my Show Me The Science podcast. And this week I'm going to talk about Viagra. Um, there's a drug, as we all know, Viagra, which is used for erectile dysfunction. Very exciting data, I must say. I've looked into it quite, quite uh, in detail now. Still preliminary, so let's not get too excited. But still, it's looking good that it may be a preventive for Alzheimer's disease. And so the topic today is Alzheimer's disease. I've covered this before occasionally. And it's an interesting business, Alzheimer's, at the moment. Obviously, it's a devastating illness that, that robs people of their memories and their personalities and all sorts. And the carers and huge amount of suffering because of Alzheimer's. We'd love a way to slow it down or even prevent it. And this latest thing on Viagra, unusual as it may seem, is giving rise to a bit more optimism of new approaches. And uh, just to recommend something for you, there was a panorama documentary recently on Alzheimer's and it was really interesting and it described two drugs that do seem to slow down progression. Uh, they're both antibodies and I guess if you're a regular you'll know what an antibody is. Antibodies are in the immune system but of course you can make antibodies as therapeutics and these antibodies mop up a protein called beta amyloid in the brain and it gets laid down in Alzheimer's in a part of the brain called the hippocampus and then that gives rise to a noxious series of events in the hippocampus and the immune system. Goes in, tries to clear the beta amyloid and gets really irritated and causes inflammation in that part of the brain and that actually begins to kill off the nerve cells and because your memories are in the hippocampus at least that's one of the central regulators of memory you begin to lose your memory so a fair bit's been known about this for a while and these two drugs that block this thing called beta amyloid or mop it up i guess like a sponge have shown uh, some efficacy at slowing down progression of the disease the best one was donanumab which slowed down progression by about a third uh, for example alicanumab about by about 20 percent i mean we'd like to get these numbers higher obviously but people see this as the start or where there might be a real way to slow down the disease process. And on the documentary, it was heartbreaking. I mean, they're interviewing patients on the trials and their hopes and dreams that this would, this would be slowed down. Uh, there was one particular guy who has a genetic form of Alzheimer's. So there's genes linked into it. And if you carry these variants, you can have early onset Alzheimer's. And if you carry these genes, you're definitely going to get Alzheimer's. Can you imagine? And of course, they're now, this person was now on the trial with these one of these drugs as well. So a lot of that's going on. And, and what struck me was, I've never seen so much activity, in a sense, clinically. Uh, years of effort and, and sort of um, not much working. And now these two drugs are giving people hope. And that's a really good sign. Again, as a word of warning, they're still experimental. They have been approved for use, certainly in, in the US. The UK is looking at them. Uh, not quite approved yet in Europe. Um, there are some side effects. Um, they can cause a bit of brain swelling. So got to be careful. But still, um, for me and scientists like me, it's, it's a good sign of a bit of progress happening at last after many failures and let's see if that improves as, as time goes by uh, one analogy that was drawn on this documentary was MS now I've done MS before on the podcast early on there were therapies for MS didn't really work very well there was hints of them doing something they got better and better and now there's real options in MS and people think it could be like that with Alzheimer's it'll still take a few years but still huge amount of effort going into it now Moving on, though, to this finding, which again is a bit unusual, this drug, Viagra. Now, Viagra, as many people will know, uh, was discovered by the drug company Pfizer. Uh, they were looking at a treatment for angina, which is a heart disease that affects your heart, uh, also for high blood pressure. And they were designing drugs to try and sort of treat those two situations by increasing blood flow. Now, in angina, you get a restriction 
in blood flow to your heart and that causes pain and heart problems obviously and could you sort of unblock that and, and come up with a drug that would allow blood to flow into the heart and there was a target that the Pfizer scientists were exploring called phosphodiesterase 5 PDE5. Now the way PDE5 works is it breaks down a thing called nitric oxide and I know I'm getting a little bit technical but but nitric oxide is a natural gas made in your body, in your blood vessels that opens them up and it can cause an increase in blood flow and PDE5 breaks down nitric oxide. So if you block PDE5 you will sustain nitric oxide and that will allow blood to flow was the idea that Pfizer had and when I was a PhD student um, in London all those years ago they knew there was something driving blood flow in certain situations didn't know what it was and then nitric oxide was discovered and it was an, won the Nobel Prize for those who discovered it Gokul Furchikot for example was one of them Gokul Murad and it was unusual a gas is being made imagine in your blood vessels your blood vessels make a little gas and that gas then causes muscle cells to relax and the blood flows in and that was a big literature a lot of, a lot of science had gone into this and PDE5 was shown to be a controller of this process so Pfizer come along, look for a drug to block PDE5, start a trial with this in men, and lo and behold, no effect on angina. That was the first thing they spotted. So the trial failed. But the nurses who were running the trial got chatting to some of the men who were on the drug, and guess what? The men said, interesting side effect. And there's two things I've come across on this. Um, one thing nurses noticed was when they'd visit the men, when they're giving them the drug, because in a trial you've got to monitor, monitor things very closely for safety and so on they'd give the drug to the men and the men would lie down on their tummies because something was happening down below uh, the second thing that was going on was men began to report this enhanced erection and it turns out overall in that process you make nitric oxide in the penis that part of your body and the nitric oxide opens up the blood vessels the blood rushes in and you get lift off and of course if you block PDE5 which lowers nitric oxide you'd enhance that process and the beauty of this was it's a natural process. You're enhancing the natural process that causes erections to happen. And uh, before I get to the, uh, the Alzheimer's part, when I was in London, there was a lab near the lab I worked in trying to come up with a treatment for erectile dysfunction. Now, it's a serious enough condition. Um, people with diabetes, heart disease are prone to it. And people over 40... Uh, one in three will have some kind of erectile dysfunction. So there were lots of labs trying to come up with ways um, to help people with that particular condition. But the trouble was, before nitric oxide, it was pretty sort of a crude ways to do it, is the word I would use. They were injecting chemicals into the tissue uh, and seeing if they would promote this process. And the most successful one at that time, I'll never forget it, as I say, near, near the lab I was in, there, was, there were experts working on this, uh, and they published a paper as we do when we discover things, on a thing called papaverine. Now, papaverine comes from peppers. It's a natural product. And lo and behold, it can promote erection. The trouble is, it promotes the erection for hours and hours. It's a bit mechanical, if you know what I mean. And the guy who wrote the paper, and I even remember his name. His name was Brindley. He wrote that uh, when you inject papaverine, an erection happens which can be sustained. And he said, in one particular case, in spite of a worrying phone call, now, what that tells you is there's something very mechanical happening with papaverine, not ideal, you might say. Uh, but then Viagra comes along and it is the way to promote erections and erectile dysfunction. And then this becomes a blockbuster drug, by the way. Uh, peak sales, $2 billion, I think it was in 2008, if I remember rightly. Um, and, and Pfizer are very happy. Well, but they're also happy because in Ireland, because guess what? It's made in Ring of Skiddy. 
in County Cork, the world supply of Viagra. Ring of Skitty within Pfizer became known as Viagra Falls. Um, and of course, there was always this thing about the men walking around Ring of Skitty. It might have been in the air and they'd a smile on their face or whatever. So there's always jokes about Viagra. It was also called the Pfizer Riser. But we move on from that. They're not great jokes. Owen's not laughing, which means they're very funny. But it was made a lot of money for Pfizer over the years. And what was amazing was it's a very safe drug. And you can get it over the counter now in the UK, for instance. Uh, you have a pharmacist would interview you because just to check you haven't got other things that might might make my Viagra slightly troublesome. But overall, it's very safe, which is very good because we want drugs to be safe, don't we? But getting on to the big discovery here that I'm talking about, what it was was it was a big study uh, done by in University College of London, and they 260,000 men were being studied. Now that's a huge number for any trial. And I often bang on about this. The more numbers you see in anything scientific, the more likely it is the conclusion's correct. If the numbers are too small, you can't generalize, is the idea. Um, so therefore, this huge number means you can generalize to the general public and all of us then might be benefiting from whatever it is. And any study needs statistics, it needs numbers. And in this study of 260,000 men, they followed them for a number of years and a certain percent of the men did develop Alzheimer's, you see, you see, because obviously over five years or so, there was a low level of that anyway, um, developing in the men. But they noticed that the men, on ha roughly half the men, or some number of the men, were on Viagra. And they noticed the ones on Viagra were 18% less likely to develop Alzheimer's. Now, 18%, 1-8%. It's not a huge number, but it's not one in five wasn't bad, you know. And even more importantly, what they noticed was uh, the more Viagra a man was on, the less likely it was he would get Alzheimer's. We call this a dose-dependent effect. And we love to see dose-dependency in drug trials because it means that if the thing is working even better at a higher dose, that's scientifically sounder, shall we say. Um, and they noticed the men on between 21 and 50 prescriptions, uh, the risk was 44% lower. And that's what got my attention, that number. When I saw 18%, I said, well, look, it's one in five is okay. But if you get to almost a halving of risk of developing Alzheimer's, if you're taking Viagra, which is a pretty safe drug, that gets our attention, given, as I say, how devastating this disease is. And that's really where the headline news was, I guess, from this trial. Now, the, the scientists who ran the trial were very honest and said, look, uh, causation, correlation is a problem here. It's called an observational study. So you're observing the men. You aren't intervening with Viagra and controlling it. You know, it's just observing what's going on. And there's always a risk here. Okay, there's a correlation between taking Viagra and, and, and uh, less risk of Alzheimer's. But the trouble is, is Viagra causing that? Is it causing the decreased risk? And maybe the men who take Viagra are doing something else that we don't know about. You never know. They might be taking more exercise, uh, which is, decreases risk. They might be more sociable, another decrease in risk. So, so there could be something else going on was, was what, what was um, concluded. And that's an important thing, this causation correlation business. Very important in science. Just because something correlates, it doesn't mean it's causing it. And that's a very important thing to remember whenever you read a scientific study um, and the conclusions being drawn. Now, the thing is, uh, the best example of this I always give is uh, there was once a big study done where there was a correlation between numbers of storks and babies being born across Europe. Right? And this was done as a kind of a way to illustrate the problem. And, of course, the conclusion was there was a statistically viable, or significant is the word we use, uh, correlation between numbers of storks in an area and the numbers of babies being born. And the authors concluded, oh, well, that must be evidence that storks deliver babies. Now, we know they don't. 
at least as far as we know. Um, and that was just a correlation. It turned out to be to a land area. The bigger the area being studied, the more babies, the more storks. That was the basis for that correlation. But it wasn't evidence that storks are delivering babies. So again, you've got to be very careful with the correlation thing as to whether it's causative. And that is one concern about this study. There is a correlation here. But having said that, when you dig into it a bit, there could be a basis for Viagra being protective. Now, why do I say that? Well, we know beta amyloid is clogging up the hippocampus, as I mentioned earlier, and a second protein called tau, which might be as important. And in some people, it's more tau than beta amyloid. And maybe the ones who respond to the antibody to beta amyloid have beta amyloid. Maybe you want to give the other ones an antibody to tau, and that's being explored at the moment, actually, as a possibility. Uh, And you might increase the response rate if you get the tau people and give them the tau antibody, if you see what I mean. But it was known already that if you increase blood flow, you might into the brain, you might help clear this stuff. It's a bit like sloshing it out, is the idea. And that had been shown in animals. Yeah, there's, there's mouse models of Alzheimer's when you get beta amyloid to build up in the mouse brain and that can cause memory loss in mice and, and that's been used in experiments to test new therapies and so on. And they knew the increased blood flow might work in that situation. And now the question is, is the effect of Viagra here because you're promoting blood flow into the brain which sluices out the beta amyloid and the tau and any other protein that might be there that's noxious. And that is not unreasonable. So there could be causation here because we've got a reasonable mechanism to explain why Viagra would work in this context. Now, more work is needed uh, on that. Uh, they'll be doing stuff now in, in mice as well to test this and just to see if that's the case because you could measure blood flow, for instance, into the brain. You might even be able to measure blood flow into the human brain, people on Viagra, to see if that is working for them and then that might be the way you're going to decrease risk. And, of course, as ever with these things, um, the papers come out. It's in a journal called Neurology. Now, that's the other thing I always recommend people to do. Where is this stuff being published? If it's being published in some obscure journal that nobody ever reads, you'd be slightly sceptical. Neurology is one of the world's leading neuroscience journals. And that means scientists and neuroscientists sort of looked at the data and said, oh yeah, this is worth publishing. So that gives us a bit more confidence that something going on here. And hopefully that this causation thing might, might be the case. What happens next, of course, is the next question. Now clearly a proper clinical trial needs to be done whereby you give some people Viagra and some not, and then you look at Alzheimer's and the risk of developing it. The trouble with that trial is you can't give a placebo for obvious reasons, because the men on the Viagra will know it, you know, and then who knows, their behaviour might change or something and might be tricky. But still, that, that trial will have to be run, most importantly, women. And they're talking now about doing a clinical trial on women with Viagra, and that mightn't suffer from the same placebo problems for a start and of course if it is an effect on blood flow into the brain that should happen in women as well and clear out the plaque as we call this stuff where the beta amyloid is deposited now the question is will the trial be run it hasn't been announced yet the um, scientists are pressing for it uh, Pfizer are the ones who owned the drug originally there are more than one type of PDE5 inhibitor out there anyway there's about four of them I think different ones that followed on from Pfizer's drug any of those any of those should work really you know so we'll see now if a clinical trial will be run let's hope it is and I suspect it will be because Alzheimer's is such a devastating disease. It's going up in incidence as we all get a bit older. Imagine if you popped a Viagra once a day and it halved your risk of Alzheimer's. Wouldn't that be tremendous results? And it would have 
and pleasant side effect of course if you like to use the word side effect of benefit would be something else as well and that might be a good thing too so you never know so the, the trial in women I think uh, when it's run is going to be extremely important and you would be optimistic of a trial for another reason apart from all this great science it's a safe drug and you know it's very cheap and because it's in humans already it's been approved you're not t- looking at a brand new medicine which takes longer to develop because you've got to use smaller numbers you've got to watch for safety all those Checks and balances are more serious if it's a new drug, never in humans, remember. Whereas this one has been in millions and millions of people, and it's a safe drug. So again, grounds for optimism that a trial with Viagra would be imminent, and let's hope that they can confirm this effect in that trial. And I can't see any downsides at the moment, to be honest. You never know, there might be some issues, but still, it'll be done very, very carefully. And then what I would also say is, you might then have a double whammy possibility here where you might be at risk of Alzheimer's, which could be genetic, and they'll give you Viagra and they'll also give you one of the antibodies, two drugs, shown hopefully to work and then both things might work together. They might be enhanced. You can imagine these antibodies. If you can increase the blood flow, more antibody might get into the brain and therefore really clear out the plaque. So I can see combination trials being possible here as well. And of course, it adds to this excitement, if you like, this... um, this potential that we will, in the coming years, come up with ways to slow down Alzheimer's. We mightn't cure it, but certainly all the, the, the approach with the antibodies and now Viagra and other drugs in development, by the way, in the clinic at the moment being tested, give us grounds, as ever, for optimism that Alzheimer's is devastating disease. If we fast forward, what, 5, 10, 15 years, will be seen as a treatable disease that can be slowed down and that will have a massive benefit for all of society, given the increase of Alzheimer's that we're, we're facing into. So there you have it. The science of Alzheimer's and the science of Viagra as a possible way to reduce your risk of Alzheimer's disease. And thanks as ever for listening. And of course, my podcast is available for download every Thursday and it's a News Talk production.